Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. It has been almost four weeks since I have preached. (laughs) Whoa! It's like, uh, wow. It's been fun. Honestly, it has been a lot of fun. And the reason we're doing this is because the... And I will speak this now, and you guys can, can shame me later, okay? Um, the staff has challenged me when baby number five comes that I better take, a, a, what is it called, a paternity, paternity leave. Now, I will tell you right now, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never done that. Um, I have four kids, um, Yes, you can, you can get mad at me afterwards. It was to the point where we would have a baby and I would be going to work that same day. That the baby, like, yes. Not, I'm not, like, I'm smiling because I don't know what else to do other than smile. <laughs> don't do that, okay? I used to be a workaholic to the max. I had seven long years of ministry, which was good, but I didn't know how to give control to the Lord. Um, and we're in a season where I have been seeing the Lord take control, and I'd rather it be in his hands than mine. Um, So we're about to have baby number five, and I'm not preaching for six whole weeks, guys. I'm not going to preach for six whole weeks. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I don't, like... I have preached like whoa, that's a that's a lot. I used to I used to be on the teaching team of the church that we went to uh, that sent us out, and I was set to preach every eight weeks, but I was also preaching every Wednesday night for a group of like eighty to hundred students. So there were some weeks that I was preaching three times. Uh, I mean, in a year, I would be preaching like a hundred plus times, and I, it's just like it just happens. But it's been so good to break. But we're going to dive right in. I have no funny story, nothing other than this passage right here. Um, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this. This is the message. John writes, the beloved, the one that's like sitting right next to Jesus. John writes, this is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you. That God is light. And in God, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him. While we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not know what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. However, though, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, John in one paragraph, it's up here, John in one paragraph speaks of the reality that we're going to see displayed in the book of Jonah. Are you ready? This like paradox that we as people can walk in the light, yet have darkness in us. That we have darkness in us. He says, if you have sin, if you say that you do not have sin, you're lying. So therefore, we all struggle with that, right? We all got some sin in us. We all got some dark places in us. He's talking about this paradox that I can somehow walk in the light, but hold some darkness in me. But as people of God, sometimes we can let that darkness that's within us be the very thing we begin operating through Jonah's going to operate through some darkness soon. And you will literally, if we say that we have fellowship with God while we're walking in through darkness, we do not know what is true. We're about to see in chapter one of Jonah, like literally this on display. Years before Jesus would even come as the light of the world, uh, we are going to see this displayed. That Jonah, a, a man who knows light, will walk in the darkness that he struggles to confess and instantly be blinded of what is true. We all know he's about to do something. He's about to run. He's about to flee, if you know the story. But in one chapter, we're going to see this whole thing, that if we confess our sins, if we 
walk with him who is in the light and bring the things in us to light, he is faithful and he is just to clean us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're talking about this paradox of we as people of light still hold some dark things, don't we? And when those dark things become all-consuming and we get in seasons of this, we begin walking through those dark things instead of walking through the light, handing over dark things. And the moment we walk through darkness, we walk in darkness as a marker of location, we struggle to know what is true anymore. We struggle. What's needed? Confession. I'm really excited. You see, I feel uh, and have felt a conviction in my heart. It's been really nice to not preach so I can just like let it bubble in me because uh, that's been what's been going on. Let's let it bubble. That God is calling us to collectively be in a place together as a church. He is. I mean, you've heard it. It was prophesied. I mean, crazy things have been happening in the past three weeks, right? We've had people prophesy on stage over people. We've had some crazy things happen during the week in our small groups. God is moving He's asking us to collectively be in a place. And I don't think it's like a location change, okay? We're on truth for a reason. But I do think it's a presence change. I think he's calling us as a church to change our presence. And as it was spoken, I mean, uh, Brian spoke a, a few weeks ago, like the word of the Lord speaks of the glory of God. And... God is asking us to behold his glory, which is going to call us to change a bit of our heart postures, right? And I believe that collectively he's asking us to do a little bit of a shift. But when this happens, like, he's also going to allow some things to manifest that are, like, blocking us from going there. Does this make sense? He's blocking us. And I've been really uh, interesting. Uh, I think God's trying to speak to us. And I think we keep shutting our ears, not because we're trying to be disobedient, but because there are things he's asking us to do. I mean, I was just speaking to Josiah this morning. There's things that he's asking us to do that are more, they touch our wounds. And they touch our wounds because the enemy knew what he was doing when wounding us with it. Because they touch our identity. And God's asking us to do something as a church, which is going to be bold. We've been praying through boldness. He's asking us to listen to him. He's calling us to do something. And it's going to require faith. But just the belief that he is able. And I'm really excited because I believe if we ask, like, If we ask him, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to bring us out of some dark places and into some light this month as we dive in the book of Jonah. Really, I do believe it. Like, Jonah is a book of resistance. (laughs) It really is. Jonah is a book all about resistance. Now, if you're like me, none of us like to admit that we're resisting God, right? But what if you and I actually paused and humbled ourselves and actually said, God, there are parts of my heart that is a bit resistance toward you. Like, I like you. Hello, there we are. I like you and I love you and I believe in you. But I'm not ready for that yet. But I'm not, I don't know about that yet. You see, and and some of you are like, well, I'm not resisting God. Well, if we say we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves. And I think we should all agree that the sin that's lurking in our life is a big resistance to the Lord, right? <laughs> like The sin that's in my life is a big resistance to the Lord. So let's just all start from this place of, okay, God, I don't know where my heart is resisting your voice, but I want to know. I don't know how I'm resisting your voice, but I do know I want more of you. And so Jesus, will you like humble me so I can see you clearly? Can we all like have that heart posture? Uh, like I, I, I believe that I'm resisting your voice in some way. So God, I just want to already say yes so I can learn from it. Really the question is, how is my heart resisting you, Jesus? How am I numb to you? So we're going to open up to Jonah chapter one because it's a book of resistance. It is. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, that's okay. There's one up here. But there are going to be things that I'm going to ask you to highlight or write down as we get into this this morning. 
Father, in this place, will you just take control of the room? Will you take control of your word? You, you say that your word does not return void. So as we speak, as we open up this story that has been taught for ages, that when little Hebrew boys and girls were learning your scriptures, they would know this story verbatim. That it would be spoken of a great fish that was provided to give grace to a very stubborn man. So God, in this place, I just, prov- I just ask for your provision. That very great fishes, plural fish, will be provided to show grace to very stubborn people. Because God, there is a stubbornness that I'm even feeling in this place that Lord, would you just bring, would you just bring your breath so that we can hear your word? I admit that I resist your voice. We admit that we resist your voice. But Lord, we draw near so that you heal us. Amen. Verse one says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he, he paid his fare and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So if you got this, uh, the word of the Lord has come, the voice of God has come to Jonah and he has said, go to Nineveh, the word of the Lord. Now I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on Nineveh, but I do need you to understand a little bit about Nineveh. It was not a vacation destination, okay? It was not someplace that you and I would go, uh, you get a, get a break, let's go to Nineveh. Their kings had a long line of lawlessness, Literally, you can find still historically these quotes of these kings, uh, and it's disgusting. They called themselves gods. They would burn women and children alive so that they could end other people groups. Like, it's nasty. And some, they, they literally would sow human flesh, I'm not even joking, on the outside of their buildings, their homes, so that they literally ward off the spirit of peace, like to, to literally spread terror to people. Historically, like there's some Nineveh kings that would just talk about the piles of corpses that they have in their yards to show the glory to their name. Like they made pyramids out of heads. Like I'm not even joking. Like they would, they would bring it in and they take delight, pride in it. I mean, the bloodshed, it was called a city of blood. They used it as shrines to worship the kings. I mean, they would literally spear their enemies' heads and have in the entrances of the city just heads. I mean, this was a place of morbid disaster. Like, it was a lot. It was a lot. But it's really interesting, uh, as I get into this, they're like vile, they're idolatrous, we get all the things, they're cruel, they're perverted, they're powerful in the world's view, like in the flesh, they're that city of blood. But honestly, like as I was doing this, um, as a pastor and a preacher, the really good thing to do is to bring like a bridge from their time to our time. And I was really like, God, I'm struggling to bring a comparison to what we deal with daily because it's not like there are people groups who do stuff like that now. But the issue of Nineveh was it was a present people group. This is a people group that the Jews would come in contact with in your lifetime and you fleed from. Like, so I, I really struggled with we do not in our day and age in our daily life come across Ninevites, people like this. But I really was like, God, Why? And I think it's because an interesting reason, think of it, the word of the Lord comes to tell a prophet, a man of God, um, who by this time had told dozens of prophecies and and stories of redemption to the people of Israel. All right, Uh, Jonah was thought of as a great man. He is a son of, his dad's name means truth. Literally, a son of truth. His name, Jonah, means innocent like a dove. We have this seemingly innocent guy, and I think God knows what he's doing in this. Uh, He literally has this 
seemingly righteous man going to the worst case scenario, like pendulum swings opposite direction. Seemingly innocent going to the very guilty people. You know, I think God's doing this for a reason. Not just to like heal a whole people group, which will happen. The Ninevites will repent. I think he also knows that for years to come, this story is going to be spoken. And I need not only to speak to Nineveh, but I need my people to realize something. That if the best of the best flee and resist my call to deal with the worst of the worst, Listen, I really think he's trying to show something. If the most seemingly innocent will not go to the most vile, then odds are that us normal folk, like you and I and your cousin Ed, will struggle to listen to the voice of the Lord to simply go to the normal things. Literally, I think he's showing this, this pendulum swing. If the best can't go to the worst, then the normal is also going to struggle to go to the normal. Like, I think he's trying to showcase that when I speak, whether you are the prophet in the room or the youngest, shy, you have a spirit of timidity still, we all will resist the voice of the Lord when he calls us to do something that is out of our comfort. I really think this pendulum swing was to show we resist him daily. And sometimes it's not even to this degree that we are common with. Like we're so desensitized to it that we don't notice. Like God says, go. And did you notice? It's not like Jonah says, no. He just literally does the opposite. He goes the opposite direction. As I was going through this, I really wonder, like, I don't think many of you are telling God verbatim, no. I don't think he's asking you to do something and you're saying no. I just think without meaning to, we do the opposite. I think we've grown to the place where we like don't even realize our feet are doing this. Like we don't even realize, like, and I'll just give you some examples. He says something like um, give and yet we store. Right? He says give and we're like, who else is he talking to? To the degree where we're struggling to even hear him anymore, as if he's not applying to us. He says, I need you to sow, and yet we're ready to water. He says, like, I need you to sow, and, but we're digging ground. Like, we're trying to fight, and there's just a lot. Like, we do this the opposite. He says, speak, and we'll wait. He says, slow down, but we quicken up because we're, we're like, but God, if we don't, who will? He says, read my word, and yet we read the words of other people on social media. You know, like that happens. He says, I need you to ask them about their marriage. And so we ask them about their job, hoping that one day it'll get to the marriage. You see, we, we literally just go the opposite way. And it's not like we're saying, God, no, but we do the thing that is not the thing. He asks you to hand over your anger, and you'll start praying about the things that make you angry. And God's like, no, no. I need you to hand... Can you just do this? Can you go to Nineveh? I'll go to Tarshish. I'll do the opposite. But it's interesting. He doesn't just go the, the opposite way. If you notice, it says twice that he goes to flee the presence of the Lord. If you, like, if you have a Bible and you want to circle that or you highlight it, like the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't think, and I, I need you to be with me on this. I don't think Jonah had bad theology. I don't think Jonah literally thought he could be somewhere where God isn't. I don't think that's what Jonah was doing. I don't think Jonah was literally, I'm going to run from the person God. That's, no. He had a good theology. What he thought, many commentators believe, like, he thought like many of the Old Testament fathers did, that if I leave the place of God, then I will escape his voice. In fact, the presence of the Lord means his face and more prominently, his mouth. He's literally fleeing the mouth of the Lord. And he thought, if I leave the people of God, if I leave the place that he's blessed, then I will leave the voice of the Lord. Then I won't have to deal with it. In other words, if you want to take notes, Jonah abandoning the people of God, the city of God, the place that he, he feels the prophetic word, if I abandon it, then I will abandon the voice. And I just sit like, whenever you don't want to hear God, who do you shy away from? His people, right? Yeah. 
Whenever you are resistant to the Lord, do you also start just getting a little bit antsy and irritated with godly people? And you're just instantly already, like you're ready to flee to Tarshish. You're, you're just escaping the voice of the Lord and everything about the city of God becomes a ploy to his mouth. And you're like, I need to flee the mouth of the Lord. I need to get away from the mouth of the Lord. Jonah, if you want to take this uh, a little bit further, Jonah is fleeing the spirit spirit of prophecy, which is the voice of God that beckons us to be the voice of God. Now, I use this word for a purpose. One, I read it over and over and over in commentaries uh, where that's literally, they believed that uh, Abraham, uh, Moses, like a lot of the, the fathers of faith believed that the spirit of prophecy was in the place where the presence of the Lord was. And so if they thought they could run away from the presence of the Lord by just leaving his spirit. And it's just, it's interesting. But really what he's doing is, I don't want to hear your voice anymore, God. And as I was, I, I have this there for a reason because that phrase is a little strange to us. But I have felt as I've been out there that there's many in the room that are fleeing the spirit of prophecy. Now, those of you who, are, who have a background like me and the word prophecy is like not a little word you talk about or you just don't really understand it, I really believe there's many in a room, yeah, where the voice of God is beckoning you to be the voice of God and you don't think you're able, you don't think you're qualified, you don't think you're good enough, You've got a lot of what ifs. You're not even registering the power of God. And so you're doing the opposite. You're just and not even meaning to, but you're fleeing the voice, the spirit of prophecy. And so that, that's a very uncommon word for us, but I'm going to make it a little common. Our friend John, who I started with, he also wrote the book of Revelation. Anyone like, that's, that's a can of worms. Uh, the book of Revelation. In Revelation 19, there's this time when an angel of the Lord is speaking a whole lot of visions. And he's just speaking, and he's speaking. And the angel of the Lord then looks to John and says, all of this is the word of God. And then it says this. John wrote in Revelation 19, John says, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and a comrade who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I put that in there for a reason. Some of us, that's a very interesting thing, but the angel says the story of Jesus, like I need you to bear witness to Jesus, and that is the spirit of prophecy. So to go back to Jonah, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and bear witness to God. Literally speak the words of God, which John will also say is the Logos that the word became flesh, has a name, Jesus. Jonah was literally, long before Jesus ever came, Jonah was literally told to take the spirit of prophecy to Nineveh, and he flees the testimony of Jesus. He flees the testimony. So our Old Testament fathers are pretty correct. He does not want to take the mantle of the spirit of prophecy. And so the question is, why? Why does he resist this? Why, when a move of God comes into our room, into this place? Why when, when the voice of the Lord starts beckoning on our hearts, why do we resist? That's really what I've been asking. Why do I resist? Why did Jonah resist? Why do we resist? Why when you feel compelled to do something yet think it's just uh, fill in the blank and then it fades, why does that keep happening? I really just kept asking this, and Jonah is honest about it in chapter 4. I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of chapter 4, but then we got to zoop right back to chapter 1, okay? Uh, so don't spend too long in here. But Jonah says this, this is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. God, he's like pouting, okay, pouting Jonah. Jonah is not a very happy book. Uh, it's like a wave, and it's, it's a little depressing. He, he says, this is why I fled. For I knew that you are a gracious God, that you are merciful, that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you're ready to relent from punishing. And you're like, what? 
He fled because he's literally saying, I know your character and I don't want them to. Like, I know your character, but I don't think they deserve it. And this reason is now showing, and it doesn't spell it out, but literally he's saying these words of hatred, of slander, of cynicism, they all come from something. And they testify his resentment, right? There's something going on in his place. It's led him to, to flee, to struggle to know truth. And I really was asking, okay, God, like for Jonah, for me, how can he both know your truth And I'm really like asking about us. How can we know your truth that you are gracious? Some of you, that you are kind. How can I know that you are a loving father? How can I know that you have spoken newness over me? How can I know these truths? yet literally define them in such wicked ways and never respond to who you really are. Do you see that's what happened? How, how can some of you in the room know the things of God, yet it's like not computing to your heart? Right? Is anyone else in that boat, in that boat with me in Jonah? Like, are we, are we in the boat to Tarshish together? Like, are, are, you, are you feeling it? Because God has spoken stuff over you, but you do not believe it. But at the same time, you will go out and profess his name. You're like, oh, I love Jesus. Me and him are tight. We are close. We are good. Everything's good and holy. But then he speaks, and there's this opposition to your identity. I knew this about you. And it's like Jonah's using that as a weapon. Like, yeah, you knew it about me, and it's supposed to be good. But he's seeing it bad. So I was driving this week, and I literally have asked this question, why? Why? God, what is the attitude? What is the pneuma? And I, the word spirit in the Greek is the word uh, attitude, disposition, way of thinking. And so I'm really like, God, what is the spirit that overtakes your people when you speak? Because sometimes it's not the spirit of prophecy because we're not doing anything with your word. Like, right? Like, it's not the spirit of prophecy because there's not as much movement forward as I know you've desired for us. There's not that much humility in the room. What's going on? And so as I was driving, I was picking up, and this is a fun story. Uh, I was going to pick up, I'm a little bit addicted to a Facebook Marketplace. Uh, especially now that we're in this in-between of like not having a home, but knowing everything that that home needs. It was a foreclosed house and someone stole all the doors. Like there's no doors in that house. So I found a whole lot of doors on Facebook Marketplace and I'm like picking them up. So I got like three and I'm going to get it. And I just get hit. Like I started crying. The Lord just... This sentence, this sentence, and this sentence. They're all three about to come up at the same time. I really felt the Lord speak, and I'm not joking. I just, my, my eyes began tearing up. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, God, that's your word. The testimony of Jonah's resentment is the spirit of pride. And then I really felt, he said, the spirit of pride in my people is resisting the spirit of prophecy. I literally felt he just dropped this and I was like, it was too heavy. It was too heavy for me to hold. And I know that you're like, that doesn't make my mind. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Meaning when we operate with the spirit of prophecy, the words in our mouth, the meditation of our heart, everything we are doing, we are being, we are going, is the bearing, it's bearing witness to the character and nature of Jesus Christ. But I was like, God, we are seeing in Jonah, I'm seeing in my people a testimony of something different. In fact, if I could just speak out a few things. We see in Jonah a testimony of resentment. We see in him, God, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. I see in our people this testimony of resentment. God, I would have handled things differently if I was the one in charge. God, I, I, where were you when fill in the blank? I did not understand why you did that fill in the blank, the resentment. And a testimony of resentment. Jonah had a testimony of slander. Nineveh does not deserve you. Do you know what that speaks? 
Jonah literally thought they were worthless than the love of Christ. Like literally, that's slander. That is an identity put on another person that categorizes them as less than the, the made in Christ image nature they are. And so there's slander. The testimony of Jonah's bitterness, his cynicism is the spirit of pride. And then he said, the spirit of pride is what keeps being evoked when my voice tells them to prophesy. The spirit of pride is thick in your heart, in my heart. And if we're going to say yes when God says go to Nineveh, we're going to need to humble ourselves. We're going to need to call out the spirit of pride. Now, that's interesting, though, because the spirit of pride, it speaks that, that resentment, that bitter indignation. He literally thought he knew God. He knew better than God. Like, go to this. Like, the spirit of pride is what deeply spoke in Jonah that God is doing something wrong. The reason I didn't want to go to Nineveh was because I knew that you were a gracious God, but I also thought they don't need that. So in other words, what I'm speaking, why I'm acting the way I am is because I know better. And I don't think they need that. God did me wrong. I would have handled it better, speaks the, the testimony of resentment. I, you did me wrong, God. You see, resentment is uh, the feeling evoked, the bitter indignation that is evoked in you when you are mistreated. The interesting thing is none of us ever own that we have a whole lot of resentment to the Lord. And the reason we don't own it is because our faith, our hearts, know that he didn't mistreat us, but at the same time, we believe he did. And so we never own it because it feels wrong to say God mistreated me. But that resentment, because he didn't mistreat you, he didn't, but that resentment seeded down in you is the very reason you flee when God says speak. It's the very reason you flee when the word of the Lord comes and he calls you to do something. It's the very reason you flee when he just simply says, be healed. And you say, I can't. Why can't you? Because you don't think you should have been wounded for you to be healed from. Like, right? Like you're still resentful for it. Right? Like, is this making sense? Why can't I be healed? Because I am still holding you accountable, God, for the pain that I have. Yeah. I'm holding you accountable for this reason. You won't heal me, and now I'm mad that you won't. And God's like, brother, humble yourself. The spirit of pride is resisting the spirit of my son, like the, the testimony of my son. But to bring it a little close to home, the spirit of pride is at work in us, and it sometimes leads us to slander. Um, okay, uh, Some of you are really mean in your thoughts. And I just, I think I'm overwhelmed uh, at times by the weight of, um, like, just the thoughts of meanness. Have you ever walked into a room and you already feel the judgment stick in the room? Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's the thickest in places where it should be the lightest? I, I really believe that you have, and I've just been praying through this, so you can take your leave. Some of you, this won't apply. Others of you, if you think it doesn't apply, it probably does apply. I really believe that some of you have been taking the testimony of slander, and it's from the spirit of pride at work in you. And what does slander look like? You're not mean with your mouth, but you're mean with your withholding. You are slandering. You don't think they are worth it. You truly think people are incompetent. Can I just tell you, if the, the belief that someone is incompetent is an identifying factor that you are putting on them, not the Lord, and that is from a spirit of pride. If you think someone's incompetent, you will not hear the Lord speak another word. That's not what the Lord speaks. But I truly believe that there are some testimonies of slander. Some of you are very judgmental 
in your mind. You will cast an identity on someone before the word of God gives the identity to someone. And you, we cannot hold the spirit of prophecy when our hearts truly do believe that there are some who are here, others who are here, and we one day hope to be here. Like it just, there's just a mess up in our hearts. I really, we, some of us truly believe like God should have dealt with that person better, but he didn't. He let him off easy. Some of you are truly believe me, I don't really, we just don't mesh very well. But the reason that you don't mesh very well with them is because of your slander, not because of your spirit. Like, it's because of your pride. I really don't want to serve there anymore. Why? Because your pride's getting attacked because you're not the best. You know, we really got to challenge our, like, we, the spirit of prophecy gets squashed by the spirit of pride. It really does. And what comes next is that slander where Paul says we must see all people no longer through a human point of view, but we must be compelled by God's love. He literally says we once saw Christ that way, but we must now see everyone new. Some of us still operate with that human point of view when we look at others. But it's interesting, I must remind all of you real quick that that attitude was already in Jonah before God told him to go. I I, I really need you to realize that that attitude was already, the go only brought it out visibly. The go only brought it out visibly. And something's been happening. We're in a series called uh, Breakthrough. You remember that? And God began doing some breakthroughs. And then we talked about Jesus. And then we just been in this relationship series. I believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to many of you, right? Powerful things have been happening. God is moving. But it's interesting. The pride didn't manifest until the Holy Spirit began talking. And I really believe the spirit of pride has come roaring its ugly face in many of us in the church. And it's mainly because God said, I want to talk to them. And when he speaks, other things happen. In fact, like pride is this covert thing in our obedience until the character of God causes it to manifest. It really is. Think about the uh, older brother. Anyone remember the older brother, the prodigal son? He's dutiful. Like, he looks like he, he's, he's got all the things going together. He's next to dad. I think the most dangerous thing that we can do is just claim, I'm next to dad and I'm good because I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. It's often when we say that, that the Lord's compassion falls on someone and we think, they don't deserve that. Like, I've literally been waiting for that gift, that blessing, and they got it. You see, pride is covert until the character of God, his gentleness, his generosity, his goodness, his literal lavish love manifests. And then our pride comes. Pride reveals its ugly colors. Pride shows off its ugly colors. The colors of them are instantly seen. And I recognize like there's an alarming reality. Do you know in our city right now, in our world, like this is... uh, Pride Month, right? Um, this is Pride Month, and there's colors of pride. Um, I think it's really good for us as, as Christians to just uh, always look at Nineveh and get really mad that Nineveh's Nineveh, right? I think we like to look at the world and then start getting really mad that the world is worldly. But this book is not about Nineveh being like Nineveh. The book is all about Jonah recognizing that the same spirit of pride that has led to a manifestation of of, uh, pyramids of heads and skin on walls and everything is literally in him as he wants all of the Ninevites to burn in hell. Literally. Like what, what the whole book of Jonah is about is to say, Glory, we could look out and get angry at the pride. But let us realize the way that the spirit of pride has infiltrated your heart so that you slander quicker than you praise him. 
that you slander quicker than you encourage. Right? Like, the book of Jonah is about the spirit of pride infiltrating the kingdom of God. And it's really a paradox. Think about it. Like, the very thing, the spirit of prophecy that is, is going to heal Nineveh, who has the spirit of pride, the very thing that will bring healing is literally showing an obstacle Like, you're the people who can heal the world. But you have the very obstacle of pride halting the healing. It's so interesting. It's this paradox. The enemy knows what he's doing. He knows what they need is the spirit of prophecy. But if I can get the people who have the healing to struggle with the same thing, but in a different way, I can halt the spirit of prophecy healing. Why? Because you're going to have to deal with some wounds. You're going to have to uncover this issue. And the story continues. I waited because the the story gets really good. You ready? We're going to dive right in very quickly. uh, Verse 4 of chapter 1. The Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea and a mighty storm comes. So much so that the ship threatens to break. Right? Are you with me? Verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his own God, and they began throwing out the cargo that was in the ship to the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had laid down there, and he was fast asleep. Some of you are fast asleep in the room. It's okay. It's okay. Verse 6, The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps he will spare us so that we won't perish. Verse seven, the sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots so that we know whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us why this calamity has happened. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And verse 10, then the men were even more afraid. And they said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the face, the mouth of the Lord, because he had told him so. Jonah flees and the Lord follows. The Lord's like, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to make the winds do my bidding. I'm going to make the seas speak on my behalf. But what I find so fascinating, if I could just teach you a little bit, what I love, like, what I find so fascinating, uh, this is a little nerdy. You ready? The way this story compares and contrasts with a story in the gospel that I truly believe, like, if you sit with me in this, I think Jesus is reenacting this story in the gospels. He is sleeping in a boat in the story of the Gospels. You ready? But let's contrast it a little bit. We have Jesus, who is pure, innocent like a dove, sleeping while seemingly faithful men are dealing with the fact that they don't believe very well. And he will later say, say, faithless generation. They are dealing with this lack of faith on the outside, being tormented by a storm. And over here, we have seemingly innocent Jonah, who actually lacks a lot of faith, sleeping. And there's innocent men being tormented on the outside. It's very interesting, the contrast. I think Jesus is literally reenacting it. But it's, it's, it's cool to me because Jesus is sleeping from peace Jonah is sleeping from this desensitized slumber. And I think many of us have to realize that when pride sets in, the resistance towards God's voice really becomes a spiritual slumber. It really does. A spiritual slumber where he is shattering. Mountains are shaking. Storms are coming. And you don't even notice. You don't even notice. This is the point at which like, you truly think you're good because you've got a good night of sleep. And the Lord's like, why are you hardened to my voice? You don't even realize that I'm changing reality all around you. I've been coming at you for this for a while, but now you just don't even notice. It's where the gospel say, awaken, O sleeper, arise. Like, wake up. 
But I love it because I need you to watch yourself because I, I have this habit when I hear this um, that Jonah misses the things of God and so that means he's prideful. Some of you want to literally say this, well, I see God every day, so I think I'm good. Let's, let's just sit in this a little bit. The belief that since I encounter God every day, I see him and he speaks to me, I must not be prideful. You must be talking about someone in the room. Literally shows the arrogance of our heart. Because it's not that God isn't talking to Jonah. It's the thing that God has uniquely called Jonah to do, he's hardened from. Some of you, it's not the question of who's prideful in the room and who isn't. The question is, God, how have I become numb to your voice, period? How have I become numb to your voice? How am I bearing pride? Not, oh, I guess I'm good because I listened to you today. No, how am I resisting you? Because it's interesting, did you notice like Jonah's numbness doesn't make him toil. It's actually other people are affected by his disobedience. Other people. Now, I just like to listen. Are any of you like a little bit of listeners? You just like to listen how people talk? I've noticed a, um, this is going to be a little blunt. Miss Betty, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've noticed a, a habit in our thinking. If you haven't noticed, there's been some storms that have occurred in many of the lives of our, our church. Like bad thing after bad thing keeps happening. And some of you can call out like some of the families that, that things just keep happening and we've been praying and, and, and maybe they've been on the mouth of the prayer team and they, it's just, there's a lot going on in the lives of our people, right? So there's two things that we typically think. We either think the enemy's coming after them, so we need to pray that the, the enemy would just leave because it's spiritual warfare and the enemy's coming after that family, right? That's what we sometimes think. Or we think the opposite, maybe the Lord's trying to tell them something. And I've literally heard those two things on the mouth of my church for a long time. Now, pause. This speaks a different word. What if? The storms that keep happening in the lives of people around us, we are the common denominator. And it is your spirit of pride that is causing a storm in the innocent people surrounding you. What if it's not about them? Like, I really need to ask, what if the issues at work with the... the wow, okay. Um, some of you, need, you've been praying because there's a... Okay, um... Let me word this correctly. There is vices and there is this biting of heads like serpents in some of your workplaces. And you keep wondering, why is it happening? I don't know. This is really heavy. What if it's your pride? What if it's your pride? And the storm that you're bringing into your workplace is affecting the ungodly. And the ungodly don't have the peace of the Lord. And so they're spiraling like vipers. That's what's happening. The storm of Jonah is affecting the ungodly who don't have peace because they don't know his name. Okay, I don't know. That, I'm, I don't have another one. But what if your workplace is being affected by your character? What if your home and the issues of your children are happening because of your pride? What if the issues that keep happening in the people of your small group and it's like job loss, broke down car, things happening over here and you're noticing this correlation. What if the, the Lord is saying, wake up, O oh sleeper, you have pride. Humble yourselves before me. Will you come to me? And I know that's a heavy word, but we have to stop saying the enemy's coming after them and not say, Lord, is my heart right we have to stop saying they must have done something and actually start saying, Lord, am I seeing something wrong? Do I have a spirit of pride? And I really mean this. There are too many storms happening in our church and I, you know, I, yeah, I just, there are too many storms happening in our church. And I think we need to wake up to realize that we might be the pride, I might be the prideful one. I, I, I'm willing to do that, are you? Because there's storms happening in the people that, that you love and you've got to stop just praying against the enemy and the enemy's like, I have baked pride in them and they don't even realize it. 
right? Okay, I just really feel that really heavily. Like Jonah needed to get woken up. He woke up. Who's doing this? Where are you at? What's happening? I'm a Hebrew. I'm a, I, the, the God of, the, of all gods. What must we do? And then the story continues. He says, throw me out, right? Like throw me out, he says. Now, does that mean I want you to be thrown out of the church? That's not what I'm saying. But when you realize that you have the spirit of pride, there is the presence, an all-consuming presence that you need to be engulfed in. Where James says, humble yourselves, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Some of you, it needs to stop being about other people, and you really need to say, I'm going to draw near to you. I'm, I'm going to stop telling other people what they need to do, and I'm going to draw near to you. Because at the end of the day, like Jesus, I want you. This is what Jonah, like, throw me in. Historical throughout scripture, water is a mixture of the Holy Spirit. It's a mixture of grace. It's a mixture of God's wrath. Like there's a lot going on uh, biblically when it comes to water. And they throw him in. They throw him in. And if you know the way that it ends, it ends like this. But the word of the Lord, the Lord provides a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus speaks this, like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so too must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Do you know what Jesus was saying? Do you know what Jesus was saying? The sin that Jonah was bearing when he finally owned it being consumed by the wrath of God it was swallowed up by the provision of Lord. This is what, and so too, Jesus, bearing the sin of the world, experiencing the wrath of God, needed to be swallowed up by the heart of the earth, awaiting the provision of the Lord. This is what occurs. Some of you really are saying, like, God, overcome me. Overcome my pride. God, Wash me clean. God, I sit in the belly of the fish. God, like I, I sit in your provision. You, you just really got to, what I love is like when we surrender, his grace swallows us up, right? Some of you need to say amen to that. Like when we surrender his grace, when we confess our rebellion, rebellion, your resistance is rebellion, your lack of surrender to his word is rebellion. When you own that and confess it, his grace swallows us. He provides. That word is the same word for manna. He gives exactly what you need at the exact moment you need it. In this case, a very large fish to fit a very large man's pride, right? Like, can we just own that? It's exactly what he needed. And I'll be honest, as we end um, the band, you guys can come up. I don't really want to do like a whole song. And, and what I do want, though, is some time of response. Because um, the book of Jonah does not end very well. Jonah pouts under a tree. In fact, I just want everyone like, this is weird. I want all of you to cross your arms. I just want you to cross your arms and just want you to slump your shoulders a little bit. Yeah, I'm a pastor. I get to tell you to do weird things. Here we go. I just want, some of you, this is your posture more often than you think. I want you to cross your arms. Can you all do that with me? And then slump your shoulders a bit. This is the posture that you take a lot. Some of you, I'll be honest, it's because you hold yourself. Because you're wounded. Really, and this is your comfort. You hold yourself because you're wounded. But the reason you do this instead of the Lord is a testimony of resentment. Some of you, you do this while you look at others and think, when will they grow up? And the Lord's like, when will you humble yourself? 
Some of you do this because you're just unhappy with the circumstance right now. Some of you do this in waiting for the Lord and the Lord's like, I need you to wait for me. And you're like, I'm waiting. And he's like, that's not waiting. That's not waiting. You're like, oh God, I'm waiting. No, you're not. You're testifying slander to my name. You're testifying cynicism. You're testifying your resentment, your bitterness. Some of you, stay crossed, stay crossed. I want you to be here. Yeah, stay crossed. Others of you, you do this, you're just waiting like, God, when are you going to be done? I thought you were going to handle this. I thought this was going to be finished. Why does this keep happening? And the Lord's like, will you humble yourself before me? So as we, as we sing, I really want you to ask the Lord to give you strength to uncross your arms. And then I want you to do it when you're ready. Some of you, you need to be like that Phoenician woman who never had her arms crossed, but her posture of heart was so ready to dive into the water and say, Jesus, I need you. You call me a dog, you call me whatever. I'm humbling myself. I will get low. This place is open for you to get low. Some of you, in order to make this stick, you need to get up and get low. Others of you, in order to make this stick, you need to finally give that word to someone that you know has been there. And you're like, but God's telling me to call out their sin. Call out. God's telling me to speak something. I don't know them. Do it. Cross your arms until you believe you are letting that spirit of resentment, the spirit of pride, go. Because I'll tell you right now, there will be a wave, a movement of the Holy Spirit as your arms fall. Woe to the spirit of Jonah who sits with a crossed arms under a tree of the Lord's provision, yet constantly just sits there being provided for, but never uses the fruit of that tree for the benefit of anyone but themselves. Woe to the spirit of Jonah who sits under the beautiful blessings of the Lord, yet hungers and waits for the more. God, why won't you? God, where are you? God, why isn't? Woe to the spirit of Jonah that's been at my heart, who sits under the blessing of the Lord, yet constantly aches for something that my pride wants. Well, the Lord has provided everything for me. Woe to the spirit of pride. Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray it out in the name of Jesus. The spirit of pride has no place in your church. The spirit of pride has set in my heart for too long. So, Father, I release my arms. Holy Spirit, use me as your your son. The spirit of pride that is in my little home. The storm that keeps occurring with my children because of my pride. It's gone. I jump into the waters. I hold fast your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, in this place right now, will you just call people to lay down their hands one by one? And right now as resentment flees, will your spirit prophesy? Whereas you say to Elijah, as you say to Elisha, as you say to every prophet, Jeremiah, speak a word to my people that calls them out of their slumber. 
As you say to Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy to these bones that they may move. So Father, as your son, I prophesy to these bones. Let their arms be uncrossed. Let their hearts be encouraged. Let them look up and see the manna that you've provided. Prophesy. Prophesy. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.